this. Um, and today we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit. I wanted to let you know that next week I will be here. And then March 6th and 13th, I will be in Dallas, Texas. My younger daughter is working an internship and I will do study leave out there. Um, and Brett will be here with you. So you'll really need to brush up because he, he's got it going on. Um, but Brett will be with you those two Sundays and then I'll be with you as soon as I get back. Um, so that's something to look forward to. We're talking about the Holy Spirit today. And to start, I think my question for you is this. One, how would you describe the Holy Spirit? And two, you can share with us what it is or not. But the question is, have you had an experience of the Holy Spirit? So I'll start. <laughs> um, for me, I, I think if I were to just say it in the most simplest of terms, it's that the Holy Spirit is God's present working in our life now. Um, and I would also say that I can look back over the course of my life and I can identify the work of the Spirit when I didn't even know it. Um, especially for someone who didn't grow up as a follower of Jesus Christ, I can look back and see where seeds were planted that were going to lead to this place. And I always feel like that's the work of the Holy Spirit. All right. Anyone want to describe the Holy Spirit? Yes. So. Uh, the scripture from the sermon today is where Jesus says, um, I, all who are thirsty, come to me. I offer you living water and out of the believer's heart will flow rivers of living water. And then John says he was talking about the spirit, which had not come yet because Jesus had been glorified. And we're going to talk more about that. But in John's gospel the idea is that we've seen the Spirit in the Old Testament, we see the Spirit in Jesus, but it's going to come in a new way once Jesus is no longer on earth with us. Does that make sense? Yes, ma'am. Seems to me experience the most real thing. The most real thing? Yeah. Yeah. Miss Bobby. Anybody else? All right. 
Um, it's interesting because I think we all believe in the Holy Spirit. Um, we are taught about the Spirit over and over again in Scripture. But if I bust up into a church meeting and say, hey, everybody, listen to what the Spirit told me, I don't know how well that'll go over initially, right? Um, and so we're going to talk about some of the struggles with identifying the Spirit, spirit over time. But I bring this to you because an essential tenet of the Reformed faith is that the Holy Spirit is at work in the world, in humans, through all time, and that it is alive, essentially, and working in the world. Um, we believe that because the Holy Spirit is moving in the world, that the Holy Spirit can speak to individuals and also speak to groups, that there is no where that the Holy Spirit can't be speaking to God's people and speaking hope and love. And so as people of faith, our job then is to discern where the spirit is calling us. I think every session meeting or at least every officer training, I will say your job is to discern where Christ via the spirit is calling us to lead and serve and grow. Um, and that will always be the job of leadership in the church and in your own lives. So I, we're gonna, uh, I want to start, I think, with um, a little bit of the historical development of the Holy Spirit. So in the Apostles' Creed, which we've been saying every week, we have a line about God. We have a paragraph about Jesus Christ. And then we have a snippet about the Holy Spirit <laughs> that leads into what we believe also about resurrection, the community, and that sort of thing. That is not because at any point the church feels that God or the Spirit are diminished. It's because those creeds were being written at a time where Christology was the issue at debate. You see what I'm saying? That the reason you have that is not because they are less important or because they don't matter. It's because at that time they were meeting to discern how they would describe Jesus and what the ramifications of Jesus's life and resurrection meant for all believers. Um, those early creeds, which are called the Nicene Constantinople creeds. And by that, I'm talking about the creed, um, the Nicene Creed, the Apostles' Creed. Um, they did, by just saying, we believe in the Holy Spirit, they were really making a statement about all that the Holy Spirit wasn't. So to include the Holy Spirit in the Trinitarian format that we have there, they were really speaking against a lot of the ideas that were in the early church about how the Spirit might be described. Some of those at that time, and I'm talking in the first 400 years of the church, said that the Holy Spirit was an angel, like Gabriel. Some of them said that the Holy Spirit was a created being, like Jesus was. Some said that there was a Holy Spirit, but it wasn't as important as God and Jesus. And then some said that the Holy Spirit was impersonal that it was the spirit of God, but it didn't really have anything to do with humanity. Um, and then the last thing that I think was the most important with those early creeds is that there were people who were saying, you know, we just believe in the Holy Spirit, so we don't have to pay any attention to scripture or Christian tradition. 
we're just going to be out here, you know, waiting for the Holy Spirit to talk to us, doing our own thing. And these early creeds remind us that the Holy Spirit is part of the personhood. It shares substance with God and Jesus Christ, but is a different person in the world and has that power. Those early creeds, (laughs) those early creeds all agreed, agree that the Holy Spirit was Jesus, was the life giver. Now, around 500, um, there was a debate that's going to end up in the split between the Western Church and the Eastern Orthodox Church. And the split had to do with the Holy Spirit. So um, Augustine, who really um, developed this doctrine that the Western Church took and ran with, he said in the Latin, the word is filioque, and he's filioque, and he said that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and proceeds from the Son. And that means that the Holy Spirit is equal to Father equal to son, that we can identify places where the spirit was at work with God in the Old Testament, places where the spirit was at work with Jesus and is at work with us now. The Eastern Orthodox Church did not quite equate in such a way the Holy Spirit with the other two persons of the Trinity. Um, I am not versed enough in um, Greek Orthodox theology to tell you all the intricacies of that. But I do know that in the 20th century into now, a lot of theologians are putting a lot of work into re-examining that because in every other way we share, um, we share so much with the Greek Orthodox Church um, and no longer do we want that division. And so it's being um, reinvestigated. But essentially we took Augustine Augustinian doctrine and ran with it. Um, So let's talk about the Holy Spirit in the Bible. First is the Old Testament. There are only two passages where we see the Holy Spirit in that language in the Old Testament. You want to give me a guess what they might be? Biggest book of the Bible or the Old Testament? We see it in the Psalms. Okay. We see that phrase, that language. Um, and it's a uh, Greek translation. Um, and we also see it in Isaiah, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. However, we see a lot of Ruach, which is the Hebrew, which is the Hebrew word for breath or wind. And so in the beginning, God created people through God's Ruach, through God's breath. We see um, the spirit of God hovering over the waters of chaos, bringing order and life out of that. We have a lot of instances where we see God's breath or wind. Um, We see it in um, the dry bones, right? It's the breath of God. Uh, O mortal, prophesy to the bones. And the whole nation of Israel will live because of God's breath in them. That is the beginning of spirit, that it actually is a part of God. But there are two dimensions where we really see this in the Old Testament. One is God's activity in the world, which is what we've been talking about. 
But the other one is that we see the spirit in human activity, and we see this mostly in the prophets. The prophets who they would say, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. And so I shall speak to you what the Lord wants you to hear. And so even from the beginning, there are always those two elements, the spirit working in the person as to for God's purposes and God acting directly in the world like he did with creation. Also in the Old Testament, you do see conversations about God's ruach being the greatest hope of Israel that there will come a day when God will breathe God's spirit on Israel and redeem them. Okay. So you see both the, the, uh, the past and you see it present in the prophets, and then you see how it's lived out in the future. All right. So let's look a little bit at the new Testament. Um, the new Testament word is Numa P N E U M A. And over the course of the New Testament, there are places where the Spirit of God is described, all right? So uh, Numa is described in Matthew as the Spirit of the Father, is described as the Spirit of Christ multiple times in the Gospels, as the Spirit of life, that which gives life to God and God's people. And then in John's Gospel, in particular, we see it described as the paraclete. And the idea is that Jesus Christ came and bore the spirit to the world in a new way. And as Jesus's followers, the spirit still remains working in and among us for the purpose of redeeming the world. You can't uh, underestimate um, how pivotal, pivotal Jesus Christ is to our understanding of spirit. Um, the only person, so if you have a prophet that God has God's spirit with the prophet and they speak, they still remain human, fallible. You still, so a good example would be Elijah, right? The spirit of the Lord is with him. He had all of these hard things to say. He also goes and lays down under the broom tree and wants to die because he thinks it's too hard. <laughs> But in Jesus Christ, we see the fullness of the spirit of God who speaks love and life to all of God's people, who calls them to live in new ways in the world. Um, it is Jesus Christ who really shows us fully what it means to be, um, to be filled with the spirit. And again, this is the idea that John Calvin had that we talked about last week, right? That Jesus Christ is prophet. He is priest, prophet, and king, <laughs> but it's the prophet, right? That he is filled with the Holy Spirit and so may speak on behalf of God. So that, um, mostly formed by Augustine, uh, was the doctrine of the church up until about the Reformation in the 16th century. And that's where we get to the fundamentals of what we believe now. So... One of the early doctrines of the Reformation had to do with the solas, S-O-L-A, right? Sola meaning um, only in Latin. We believed in um, only grace. We believed in only Christ. And one of the solas for us has to do um, with scripture, right? 
scripture alone. Um, and so part of what happened in the early parts of the Reformation, and remember John Calvin is the one who would take church doctrines and like give you every Bible verse that kind of supported it. We see the doctrine of the Holy Spirit really become subordinate to scripture. We believe in the Holy Spirit, but we really see scripture as being the most important thing. And that is mostly Calvin and Luther's influence. It's also part of the Enlightenment movement, right? And the Enlightenment said, we are smart. The things that really matter, we should be able to reason our way through. It's really hard to reason your way through the work of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> it's impossible. Um, and so the idea that you can take scripture and you can bring your reason to the written word of God became the most important thing. That's why we are often called people of the word, because we take scripture so seriously. Um, you may notice in preaching in our churches that the whatever is said in a sermon should always and only flow out of the scripture, right? So there are some traditions who say, what does our congregation need to know? How do they need to be formed? And then they go to scripture and try to find that. For us, we start with scripture. And I think that's one of the reasons why things like the lectionary are very important. Um, because it brings up scripture that we may not normally be thinking of. But then the question is, how does this speak? Where is the spirit calling us? So everything that happens in a sermon and actually in worship, all of it should flow from the word of God. Does that make sense? Okay, so that's called um, expository preaching. Sola is only. Um, or scripture alone, yes. All right, so we see this kind of subordination of the spirit, but the place where we see it reclaimed the most is in communion. Remember, Luther believed that the bread and the cup were actually Christ's body. And we believe because of Zwingli that the bread and the cup are filled with the Holy Spirit. And they go into the believer in a new way to build them up for the work of Christ but that it's not actually the body and the blood. I do think that Zwingli thought that, um, that Luther and his followers, um, they worship the sacrament. I, I think that's in part how he saw it, right? That they were too focused on the actual bread and on the actual cup because they thought it was actually Jesus. And Zwingli says, actually, Jesus is present, absolutely, but it's via the spirit. Um, and so to come to that sacrament is to come and open yourself to the Holy Spirit's work um, that what the Holy Spirit will call you to. I think if there is, you know, baptism is where you make your greatest profession of faith. Um, but we're making a profession of faith and our willingness to be a part of God's work in the world every time we come to the table. Um, because we believe the spirit is there. In the 19th century, we see um, three different theologians who um, posit new ideas around what the Holy Spirit is, and none of them are perfect. A lot of them have questions. 
Um, but I want to present those to you because you can see how they will later be folded into what we believe today. Um, the first one is Schleiermacher, who I've talked to you about before. So Schleiermacher said that um, we are humans living a human experience. And so he said the most important thing you can say about the Holy Spirit is that it works in people. That the Holy Spirit is in us, speaks to us, guides us. And those are all very true. This is where we get the development of the doctrine that it is the Holy Spirit who animates and gives purpose to the body of Christ. The problem with that can sometimes be that the person becomes more important than our holy and other God. If we are, you know, if you are so, if you believe so strongly that the Holy Spirit is a human experience, then that can lead to the idea that you get to say what God, only you, right? And so we know that what comes out of this for us is that the work of the Spirit most often is confirmed in community, right? That the work of the Spirit can sometimes start with one person and a lone voice, but that over time it can be confirmed by the community and validated as to how we shall move. Um, Hegel, uh, Hegel, he wanted to write about the Holy Spirit, and he was really disgusted with that classical Greek thought of dualism. He was like, there's no, it doesn't have to be like spirit or body, right? It doesn't have to be one or the other. And so he tried to say that the Holy Spirit is in all of these places and all of these different interactions. And really it reads like he is a pantheist, <laughs> that he believes there are as many different gods um, working in the world. He didn't hold true to the idea that the Holy Spirit is God and the Holy Spirit is Christ. And then we have Kierkegaard, who just for fun, so you should know, hated Heigl, <laughs> hated everything he stood for. Um, and so here's what's interesting about Kierkegaard, and I think maybe what speaks to, to me the most is that the greatest truth for Kierkegaard is that it is very lonely to be a human in the world, especially when we recognize how other God is. When you recognize the holiness and the majesty of God, then sometimes you feel even more alienated. So if that's his greatest truth, his faith then brings in the idea that Christ is always with us, that we are no longer bound by this wide gap between humanity and divinity. Um, and so he saw the spirit is a, as a way to connect people in God, that that was the function of the spirit. He had the same problems in some way as Schleiermacher in that if we are connected with God by the spirit, then we can have as many different ideas of where the spirit is calling us as there are people. Do you see what I'm saying? It focuses less on the communal aspect of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so let's talk about where we land <laughs> through all of this. All scripture testifies to the presence and activity of the spirit of God, testifies to the activity in human life, and 
testifies to the idea that it is God's spirit in the world. Okay, so it is actually God, but it is also something that works within humans. Scripture also testifies in the New Testament in particular that it is Jesus Christ who is the fullest revelation of the spirit at work in the world. And that when Jesus Christ says to us, I will not leave you orphaned, I am sending the paraclete, the spirit to be with you, that the Holy Spirit is energized in a new way for the body of believers. Um, We also believe that the Holy Spirit enables Christian worship, that any worship we do is not our, the work of us. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. If you need convincing of this, just think about all the things you think about in worship that have nothing to do with our Lord God, (laughs) right? Thinking about what you'll have for lunch. That is, you know, but when we are able to redirect our attention and connect to God, that is always the work of the Holy Spirit. That's important too, because we should remember that conversion is always the work of the Holy Spirit. Always. You can have a powerful testimony. You can tell people about Jesus Christ. But if there is a change in anyone's heart, it's because of the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit may have used you. The Holy Spirit may have uh, planted seeds along the way through a variety of people, but conversion is always the work of the Holy Spirit. That should be um, a comfort, and it should always color what we do in terms of evangelism. Um, What else? We believe the Holy Spirit um, enables us for our witness and our service. So any ideas we have about what is possible or what is not possible, if God is calling us to a certain area of service or of witness, we also have to believe that the Holy Spirit will enable us to do it. Okay. If preachers didn't believe in the Holy Spirit, they'd never get up to speak ever because who could possibly tell you the word of God? Like who could do that? Nobody. Um, but you have to believe in the Holy Spirit who can take fragile, broken human thought and speech and use it in some way. I think the most important thing I want you to realize is that the Holy Spirit should convict all of us of the firm and certain knowledge that God is benevolent towards creation. That in the same way that God gave us Jesus Christ because of God's great love so that we could stop trying to make ourselves righteous in the same way we believe in the Holy Spirit, that it is because of God's great love that the Spirit is at work in the body of believers and in the world at large. And that whenever the Holy Spirit moves, it should be borne out in community. And when I say community, it may be one other person. It may be a group of people. But the Holy Spirit's work, the Holy Spirit isn't selfish. It doesn't just, you know, work with one person. I'm only going to tell you, right? The, the Old Testament prophets, they tried very hard 
to share God's word with the community and to have it borne out. And that community rejected them. But over time, the Israelites verified the truth of what the prophets were saying, and it became a part of their canon. So for us, um, and the, the best example I can give you of this is how we ordain ministers. Okay, so I will tell you personally that um, I had a like a you know supernatural call to ministry, right? And um, and I didn't want to do a thing with it. I swore my husband to secrecy. Okay, and I it was six years between that and or eight years. And when I went to seminary, but during that time, people within my church community would say, you, you should really go to seminary. We see that you have gifts for this. Um, we think that you are being called for this. Okay. And so when I finally decide to go to seminary, that's when I find that someone anonymously in our church wants to pay for the whole thing because they believe that I am being called. That's confirmation of the Holy Spirit. It is actually a part of our polity then that as you go through the process to ordination, you meet with a committee on ministry, which is full of other pastors and lay people. And you say to them, this is what I think God is calling me for. And they get to know you and they ask you questions. And it's borne out within that community that we all can say, yes, yes, we hear that God is calling you. Yes, we can validate that. And then you have the larger church community as a presbytery who says, yes, and we can hear that. Um, in the same way, even just in our like monthly session meetings, someone will say, you know, I have this idea or I think this about whatever we're voting on. And then we'll kind of sit there and slowly you will hear, yes, yes, or no. A no is just as valuable as a yes, um, but it should always be borne out in the community. Um, and we can trust the Holy Spirit working through each of us. Doesn't mean it's easy. Doesn't mean there won't be conflict. But it does mean that we can hold up our experience to scripture, to the person of Jesus Christ, and to the calling we experience as a community. Any questions about that? Nothing? Come on, Roy. No, I'm just kidding. Um, our uh, most recent statement of faith, um, our creed or confession that was written when the Northern and Southern Church Unified says um, that we believe the Holy Spirit is not confined to the church, but rather that the Holy Spirit is everywhere the giver and renewer of life. And part of what that means for me is that even when I see people who would never in a million years claim Christ as Lord and Savior, when I see renewal for them or new life, that for me, I identify as the Holy Spirit, whether they do or not, because I believe the Holy Spirit is everywhere giving and renewing and calling and speaking. Um, I think the last thing is, uh, one of the things I love is that in 1998, the General Assembly um, approved a catechism written for children. But I like to think of it as a beginner catechism because I still get a whole lot out of it. 
<laughs> um, and so one of the things that they say in regards to the spirit is that on Pentecost, the Holy Spirit filled the first Christians with joy by showing them what Jesus had done for us. The Spirit inspired them to understand and proclaim the gospel and to live a new life together in thanksgiving to God. The central testimony, particularly of the book of Acts, is that the Spirit calls us to be a community, not to be just a believer on our own, set loose in the world, but to be a community. It's the community that comes together to worship. Should we also worship in every other moment of our life? Absolutely. But it's when we gather to worship together that we are nurtured in a new way. And so that's one of the most important parts, I think. Um, I forgot to mention Paul when I was talking in the New Testament. Um, I think uh, Paul really develops the idea of the Holy Spirit, particularly in Galatians and Corinthians. Um, if you were to read any of Paul's letters, particularly, they tell you about how the spirit works in the community, in the church. And so I encourage you to read one of Paul's letters, read Galatians and read it, asking yourself, what does this tell me about the Holy Spirit? How does he describe it? And I think it really is an interesting way to think about it. The Beginner's Catechism says the Holy Spirit also moves us to understand and believe the gospel, and it gives us strength and wisdom to live by it, and it unites us into a new community called the church. And again, in the Beginner's Catechism, we see the presence of the Holy Spirit in um, communion in that sacrament. What questions do you have? Wow, I've explained everything <laughs> better at this than I thought. Yeah. I just have a, a question. What are your thoughts on when uh, the Holy Spirit speaks to you, you have a conversion, then a person changed, can something change for them throughout that lifetime and change that outcome, I guess? So could they deconvert? Is that the question? So, yes, because at the heart of who we are is that we have this choice. God in no way forces us to believe. Um, and so I think it's entirely possible that um, someone could believe in Christ. And then for whatever reason, I don't believe it's the work of the spirit, though. Find themselves at a place where they don't believe. Um, so but I think that's a reflection on humanity and their choice. And not necessarily, actually, absolutely not the work of the Spirit. I do think that over time, our conception of God and Christ and the Holy Spirit grows. I find that for me, God gets bigger, not smaller. The more I come to know and study and pray and experience the Spirit in my whole life. Um, you know, so I do believe in that. I think that God gets bigger, not, not smaller, but check with me in 10 years. We'll see. <laughs> I mean, I'm only partway through this deal. 
Uh-huh. Yeah, that is my singing voice. Um, I think the last thing I want to say is that um, the Holy Spirit speaks best when you're listening. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, I should tell that to my teenagers, actually, but um, the Holy Spirit speaks best when we're listening. I think there are times in my life when the Holy Spirit has surprised me. Actually, I'm going to back that up and say, I think the Holy Spirit always surprises us. I think the Holy Spirit always does a new thing um, because it is eternally creative. But we should be a people who are listening at all times for what the Spirit might say, for how the Spirit speaks to us in the words of Scripture. You know, we're going to hear the Aeolians, and I feel the Spirit of God every time that they sing. And I think part of it is because we're in that communal worship and I'm listening. And so I think the goal is to make every minute of our life listening and then to find those people who are close to us that we can say, here's what I think I'm hearing and they can help us discern also. So I think what I want to say is let us practice listening and being open to the spirit and let us make sure we know who our community is our trusted friends who can also help us listen and discern so that we can fully hear God's guiding for us. All right. I think that's all. I will listen to this later and find five heresies, but you know, that's the way it goes. Um, that's the good thing about being the, uh, the preacher, right? You can just circle back around, clean it up next week. <laughs> all right, y'all. Thank you so much. Thank you.